So I was listening to this podcast a couple of, couple of months ago, and it was pretty interesting. It was an interview with this guy who had made a ton of money, um, I think back in the, I guess it would have been like the late 90s during the uh, dot-com bubble. And uh, really interesting. He was uh, very honest, very humble, um, especially about his success. He, he kept saying um, he really didn't earn it. Um, he said it was, it was like all luck, uh, the money he made. He said it was... Uh, completely one of these, you know, right place, right time kind of things. Um, and he had like crazy, crazy money. Um, and then he lost it, pretty much lost it all. Um, and he described a couple of, couple of really bad investments and I guess he had a, like a financial advisor who was uh, kind of swindled him out of money. So he lost it, he had it and he lost it. and. Um, and then he got it back, um, but not right away. He, uh, he, he described, he said, my life is sort of like a two-act play. Act one was what I just described, um, this success that he had, but really hadn't earned. Um, and then he said when he lost it, he went through this period, um, I think it was like a couple of years, where he just went on this kind of search, kind of search for sort of like meaning in his own life. Um, he said it was, it was crazy because when he had all this money, everybody wanted to hear what he had to say. Everybody wanted to be around him. And as soon as, he, as soon as he lost it, none of those people could be found. So it was just the shallowness of all of that struck him. So during this time, like he really got into his faith, his Catholic faith, hadn't really been much of a church guy prior. And he really started to practice the faith. And he got into therapy, um, started looking at kind of where he came from, his family background. And he uh, got back into business, completely different business, but was even more successful in act two. And this time he said, uh, it wasn't luck. He really did earn it. It wasn't, you know, right place, right time. He earned it because uh, he had a very different approach and a very different strategy. And he very simply, he said, I just took chances. I took chances in act two that I wouldn't have even thought of taking in act one. And he took time to really give thought to like what he was good at, his gifts, his talents. And he took chances with those gifts. Um, and he said, you know, he, think he always really knew he kind of knew what he was good at. He knew where he was comfortable and where his instinct was particularly sharp, but he never acted on it. He never acted on those gifts because it was just way too risky, act one. And he did almost the opposite in act two. Um, he talked about his mother, and she sounded like this very kind of sad person, uh, battled mental illness and alcoholism. A father, well, she was, I guess, sort of in and out of the hospital his whole life, and when she was around, you would like kind of walk on eggshells. Um, if anything was sort of out of order, uh, she would kind of lose it. Everybody would flee. His father, he described his father as, he called him the invisible man. Um, 
emotionally totally absent. So it sounded like a really sad place to grow up, very dysfunctional. Um, but he said more than anything, like the, the rule of this sort of sad house was this, don't make mistakes because mistakes are dangerous and they're disruptive. And if you very practically, if you make a mistake, mom's gonna lose it. And then it's a very bad scene. So like there was just this fear of making mistakes. So he was like, you just don't risk anything. Don't take chances. Don't gamble anything. Because if you lose, you're gonna pay. Um, he was desperately afraid of failure. He was the guy in this parable, the third guy who's described, who's given this one talent, and he buries it. The gift he's been given, he literally buries it, does nothing with it. And then he pays a pretty serious price. He's tossed out, wailing and grinding of the teeth, like, like he's, he fails because he buried what he was given. And that was this guy's story, despite the fact that he actually was very wealthy early on. He kind of, like I said, he just kept saying, yeah, it was, it was all luck. But then I really found success, he said, when I figured out what I'm really good at, what God has given me. And then I was willing to roll the dice, not like in a crazy, reckless way, but I took chances. Thanks to therapy and faith, he said he reframed his fears. I thought that was an interesting way of putting it. He, he reframed his fears. Growing up, mistakes were dangerous. Act one. Act two, mistakes were an opportunity. And he wasn't like, you know, go look to make mistakes. Like, he was like, yeah, avoid mistakes if you can, of course. But when you make them, don't see it as a total waste. He said he now looked at it like, you know, mistakes, when you do make them, if your intention was good, well, then you stretched yourself. You learn from it. In a strange way, you're, you're better because you won't make that mistake again. He said he, he read about successful people, people who had just crushed it in, in all aspects of life, and he read their stories. And they were all stories that had failure, failure before the success, mistakes before the, the money that they ultimately, these people made. And they talked about it, these successful people. Like, of course, that's... You gotta take chances. He talked about, this was interesting, he said like some of, the, some of the greatest discoveries that we now take for granted, he said they resulted, they came from mistakes. Penicillin. They didn't go, whoever it was that discovered penicillin didn't go looking to discover that. He stumbled upon it. He talked about the guy who, and I didn't know this at all, the guy who invented Coca-Cola. He was a, a pharmacist. And he was looking to find a cure for migraine headaches. So he was doing these, this research with coca leaves, 
and cola nuts. And he was kind of putting them together in these experimental ways. And he had an assistant with him in the, in the laboratory. And the guy, by mistake, took carbonated water and, by mistake, mixed it with the, the coca leaves and the, coca nut, uh, the cola nuts. And Coca-Cola was born. Like, they were like, whoa, look at this. That was never the intention. Migraine headaches, not soda. Anyway, this guy, he just went from being like desperately afraid of failure to now seeing mistakes as, as, again, not something you're looking for, but something you don't run from. You know, Wayne Gretzky, great hockey, the greatest hockey player of them all, he said, you miss 100% of the shots that you never take. You fail at them all if you don't even try. I mean, it's this gospel. I think it's what's being said. It's what we're being kind of charged with. And so much of it was fear that led to this guy's failure in the gospel. He said it, so out of fear I went off and buried your talent in the ground. I mean, can you think of, I mean, let's look at our lives. Like, can you think of some part of your past, maybe even present, that you regret? You're like, I just should have, I should have pursued something. I kind of wanted to, I sort of thought I should have but I didn't, I got spooked, I got scared. Maybe I was discouraged by somebody. Fear of maybe being embarrassed at failing stopped me from pursuing it. That job opened up and I should have gone for it, but I was afraid of not getting it. Or maybe I did get it and, I was, I, I, and that meant we had to move. And the prospect of going somewhere, you know, unknown, just scared me into not doing it. And I'm not saying you always take the job. You know, I mean, sometimes it's good reasons to say, no, we're not gonna make the move. We're here and this is home. But sometimes we should. And if fear is calling the shots, we become the guy in the parable. I remember my father used to talk about the first house my parents bought. I guess they were about two years married. I think it was 1961, and uh, they lived in Brooklyn in an apartment, and they bought this house in Floral Park. Like people, all of our family was in Brooklyn. They thought they were moving to like Kansas or something. Floral Park was like, they thought it was like a million miles away. And I remember my dad saying like, he was a fireman, he was like, the house we bought, like we really couldn't afford. And it was hardly a mansion, but it was just like they didn't really, on paper, we didn't really have the money, but they did it. Like, I guess it must have been close, close enough to, to take the chance. Well, I became home for 40 years, 132 Aspen. Like, had they said, ah, I don't know, too much of a risk, that wouldn't have been home. And I mean, it some other street would have been home. It wouldn't have been the end of the world. But I'm glad they bought the, they bought the house they really couldn't afford. You know, when Nelson Mandela was um, 
elected president who got out of jail after almost 30 years in prison in South Africa. He was elected president and he, uh, at his uh, inauguration, he gave an address. Let's just listen to part of these words. They're, they're awesome. And they talk about gifts. Like sometimes I think, and I think this is what he was saying, we, 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 we misunderstand humility. We think humility means like we, we deny what makes us shine. That's not what humility is about. Humility, I think, is about giving, giving God credit for what makes us shine, but not denying the fact that we shine, not denying the gifts we've been given. Like, we've been given them. That's where the humility kicks in. It's like, I didn't invent the gift. I'm not responsible for it. It comes from God, and I got to do something with that. If we turn it into this false humility, like, no, 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 I can't, and we step away, I think we're, it's, I think we're displeasing God. We become this guy in the parable. Listen to this. This is Mandela. Our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness, that frightens us. We ask ourselves, who am I to be brilliant or beautiful or talented? Actually, who are you not to be? You are a child of God. Your playing small doesn't serve the world. There's nothing enlightened about shrinking so that other people won't feel so insecure around you. We are born to manifest the glory of God that is within us. It's not just in some of us, it's in all of us. And as we let our light shine, we give other people permission to do the same. As we are liberated from our own fear, our presence liberates others. How great is that? I tell you, fear is it's very interesting, isn't it? It can paralyze us and it can keep us from our dreams. It really can keep us small, but it can also keep us safe. It can be our friend sometimes. I think in the right doses, man, but too much of it can kill us. Too much of it turns us into this tragic parable guy. I love what Mandela said, your playing small doesn't serve the world. He's right, it doesn't. It's this parable. It's Jesus' point. You miss 100% of the shots that you never took. So don't play small.